About uh, a year and, and a few months ago, the fall of 2020, uh, a couple buddies in mine decided, and I decided that we wanted to go and hike up Mount Mitchell. Now, uh, Mount Mitchell is, one of, is the tallest peak, that's what it says right here on this plaque, east of the Mississippi River, so, so it, it's, it's quite a hike, it's a fun hike. And so one of my buddies was going to be down near in North Carolina, and Mount Mitchell is just outside of Asheville, North Carolina. He was going to be down in that area, and so my other friend Nathaniel and I decided to drive down and then join him, and, and we camped for a couple of nights, and we wanted to hike up Mount Mitchell. Now, I'm a hiker. I enjoy being outdoors, and I enjoy uh, going on hikes and seeing nature and all of that, but uh, this was going to be one of uh, the most, this has been, is one of the most difficult hikes that I've ever done. Uh, there's a couple of ways that you can get up Mount Mitchell. Uh, one way, you can drive up Mount Mitchell, and there's a parking lot about 300 feet uh, from the top that then it's still a little bit of a hike, but it's not, you know, five and a half miles to get up to the top, and that's what many people people do to see uh, the top of the mountain. But we had decided that we wanted to hike the five and a half mile hike up the mountain. And so this, this hike starts at one of the campgrounds and, and then you go up the mountain, which is relatively rough and difficult. So I, I remember as we had packed our, our lunches and whatnot for the day, we knew it was going to take quite a while. We started out on this hike and, and I knew it was going to be difficult, but then like you get going on it and you're like, wow, this is really hard. This was a five and a half mile hike that was basically up the entire way. It was at least like a 30 degree grade uphill all the time. So it was like walking upstairs for five and a half miles. It was, it was pretty difficult. So we, we would stop on the way, you know, to, to take breaks and to get water and whatnot as we climbed the mountain. And, and many people uh, are probably more outdoorsy than me, and, and they really love things like this, and they love hiking. And for me, a lot of the time, hiking is about the journey and not necessarily the destination when it's an easier hike. But because it was such a hard hike, I remember uh, thinking as I was traveling and, and going up up the mountain, uh, that I, I reminded myself this is going to be worth it because we're going to get to the top and we're going to see this absolutely stunning, beautiful and gorgeous view. And, and so as we were traveling, that was in my mind. And, and we did get to the top and we made it. And this is a picture from the top of Mount Mitchell. And it, it's like this, but panoramic all around you because it's the highest mountain peak. Um, and it's beautiful. You can see other mountain peaks. They point out to you on the, the map, the legends there, what the peaks are. You can see different uh, towns that are around there. And it's just this beautiful view from the top of Mount Mitchell. And so we stayed up there. We ate our lunch. And, and we were there for a while. And then we came back down. And uh, coming back down five and a half miles is also not, like, super fun as well. But, but it was worth it to see the view and the, and the beautiful view what we got to see. Today our, our story is the story of Epiphany, the Magi traveling to see the baby Jesus. And it, it's one of my favorite stories because there's so much good stuff in here that, that teaches us about what our God is like 
and what it means to be a disciple. Part of what I really like is that God reveals himself in four unique and different ways to the Magi. The Magi aren't Jewish. They're not Israel and yet, Israelites, and yet God reveals himself to them four unique ways. He, he wants them to know who he is. And I think that speaks volumes about who our God is, who wants to be known, who wants to be in relationship with us. Another reason this story is important is because it sets up Jesus from the beginning of his life as the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, um, because this story kind of points back to a different time in the history of Israel when Israel, the kingdom of Israel was at its height during the reign of King Solomon. We see uh, great influence in, in, in a lot of wealth in Israel, and we see foreigners like the Queen of Sheba coming to pay homage to King Solomon and the Israelites. And so this story points back to that. And tells us that Jesus' kingdom, he, he's ushering in a new golden era for, of his kingdom and for the Jewish people. On top of that, this is uh, the kingdom of Jesus we see from the beginning is at odds with the kingdoms of this world as Herod tries to kill Jesus from the beginning. And the, and the kingdoms of this world will always use force and violence. And yet the kingdom of Jesus is not about that. And then in the story, we have this unique interplay between the outsiders, the magi, who get it right, they want to go and worship, and the insiders, Herod and the Jewish leaders, who know where the baby is to be born, but are too lazy to go and worship. But as I was thinking about this story, there's so much in the story and so much to think about. I had one question that kept coming to my mind. And a question, it was a question that I wanted to ask the Magi. And the question was this. Was it worth the hike? Magi, was it worth the hike? The long journey that you took. I don't know how long they stayed with Jesus and uh, Mary and Joseph. And so I wanted to ask them, was it worth the hike? Because we don't know exactly where they're from. It just says they're from the east, you know. But we can presume this journey took really long. And it, it would have taken up at least months, if not years, of these people's life to go and to, to make this journey to, to Israel and to Bethlehem. And I remember thinking, and as I thought about how much they would have had to pack in their caravan uh, that they would have taken with them, I thought it was interesting. So this, these are the magi from, um, if you remember the, the movie, The Nativity Story, these are the magi uh, from that story. And, and in that video, in that, in that movie, they kind of talk about this, make that a part of the story. And one of the magi, as they're thinking about taking this journey, one of the magi says, well, what about my nuts and my spices and all the food that I'm accustomed to? What about all this? And what about my life that I have here? They, they had to pack up everything. And they had to devote a huge portion of their lives to this. They, they, they gave up a lot and they weren't even Jews. These people weren't even Israelites. And yet they decide to take this massive trip. They, they couldn't have been poor people. They had to have been wealthy if they were going to make this trip. And they devote a lot of money into it as well. 
And so they decide to make this long trip and they take uh, this long trip. Don't know how long they were journeying before they come to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. But this is, uh, and then they meet with King Herod. So this is King Herod and his son on the right in the movie. And on the left are the, the, the Magi. And, and they have this really interesting interaction with King Herod and the teachers of uh, the scriptures, which is really important to know because they come and they don't know where the king of the Jews is to be born. But Herod asks his, his leaders and the priest, and they say, yeah, we know where the king of the Jews is supposed to be born. It was in the scriptures. It, they're in Bethlehem. It's going to be in Bethlehem. And so these people that they interacted with were like Bible scholars, right? They knew all the information from the text. They had studied it for so long that they knew right away where the Messiah was supposed to be born. These people were also longtime insiders. They were Jewish. They had identified themselves as Jewish as part of the faith of Yahweh who had rescued them from Egypt. They had been doing this type of thing for a long time time. And then these people also were even evangelists. They, they pointed the magi to Jesus. They, they said, you, you need to go over there to go to Jesus. And yet, I don't know, hopefully you can see a little bit of this map, but I know it's hard to see oftentimes when we have pictures like this. But you can see on the map of Judah that there's Jerusalem there, kind of in the middle towards the bottom, and Bethlehem is just south of Jerusalem. So Bethlehem is about six miles from Jerusalem, so uh, it's about a half day's hike journey, right? About the distance that I took going up Mount Mitchell. And it's six miles away, and yet these Bible scholars know that that's where the king of the Jews is going to be born, but they don't think it's worth it to go with the Magi to worship him. They don't want to give up the time to go and to worship and to witness to the king of the Jews. And so our author is painting this contrast, this pure, uh, clear picture of complacency. These Jews, they have all the head knowledge. Even Herod knows where the baby is going to be born. And yet they're complacent in their faith. They're they're probably even stagnated in their discipleship to God. And they choose not to be worshipers or witnesses. Hear that again. They're Bible scholars. They're longtime insiders. They're even evangelists. But they choose not to worship. It's not worth the journey. And in contrast to this, I find it interesting to think about the Magi, who, again, they weren't Jews. Uh, They probably didn't even have a right picture of who this God was. This was a foreign God to them. They they didn't really know, necessarily know, the story of Israel and God and the relationship of God with Israel. And they probably didn't even know, like, a message of forgiveness. They probably didn't even know that. And yet, the little bit of revelation that they had been given, they chose to act on it, and they chose to become worshipers of this God and not just witnesses. And so our scripture today and this story ask us a difficult question, and it comes with the warning of whom do we identify with 
in the story. The Magi or the religious leaders. And as I reflected on my own journey, I reflected on our congregation here in Danville. The reality is that so we're in the Bible Belt, right? We're in the middle of rural Kentucky where there's uh, more churches on the street corners per population than probably anywhere in the world. And although not all of us in our church are like this, many of us are insiders, myself included. We've been doing this for a while. We've been doing Christianity. We know the Christian message. We know what it means to follow God. But the question to us today is, have we become too comfortable or complacent or even stagnant in our faith and our relationship with Jesus? Would it be worth it for us to go the extra six miles to journey to worship our God? Have we become too lazy? Uh, There are probably more Bibles printed in our language than any other language ever in the world. There's more Bibles in our homes than ever before, but are they just up there on the shelf gathering dust? We have more Bible study tools at our our fingertips that we can either order or just find online for free than, than anywhere ever in the history of Christianity that people in our past would, would have loved and died to have. But are we taking time to invest in our relationship with God, to spend time in prayer, in scripture, in community? So it's 2022, it's a new start, it's January, and so often when we come to a new year, we f- reflect on the old year and we set New Year's resolution. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And so maybe uh, yesterday I was watching the football game and I was thinking about Coach Stoops' big belly and I was like, well, he's probably got a resolution there to, you know, be healthier, eat healthier, or exercise, right? And those things are good and we're not against that. But a- a- as a Christian and as a, as a pastor, I want to remind you to think about goals for godliness, Goals for deepening our relationship with Jesus. Do you think it's worth it to invest in things like spending time daily in Scripture, in prayer, and being a part of a group, a study group, or a a Bible study? Is it worth it to us? And I think one of the reasons why we struggle with the spiritual disciplines or practices, as I like to call them, is because oftentimes we, we hear a, a wrong message. Because uh, so often it's, it's preached, and, and it, at least it's thought of in kind of folk Christianity, what I think of, is that the Christian life is about saying yes to God so that we can have a ticket to heaven when we die. But that, that's not what Jesus talked about. That's not what Jesus preached. And that is not what the Christian life is about. The Christian life, and this is what Jesus says, is about an ever-deepening, intimate relationship with God that changes everything about the way we live our life. It changes our, our way of life, the things that we give our time and energy and effort to. It changes what we say yes and what we say no to, and it changes the way we experience joy in life as well as sadness and grief. And it affects everything. And no, it's not about earning our salvation, but it is about developing a relationship with God that leads us into a life of love and joy and peace. 
And whatever maybe these disciplines are for you, there's, there's a few different disciplines. Maybe it's giving, saying no to something so that you can have more time in your schedule for, for being with God or just enjoying life. Maybe it's uh, something in the realm of giving and finances that God wants you to take a next step in. I don't know what it is for you, but I want to tell you a quick story about one of my practices that I've come to practice. And, and one of the most important practices for me and my faith, and especially as a pastor, is uh, the practice of Sabbath. Taking a day to rest, to not do work, and to worship and to enjoy God. And so one of my practices on my Sabbath day is in the afternoon, I take a, an extended time of, of prayer. And that time of prayer is not about praying for things or asking God for things. It's about being silent and just enjoying God's presence and just being with God and enjoying that. And I remember as I, as I started to practice this, that so often I would come to this time in my day and my Sabbath, and, and I remember having kind of that feeling in my stomach of being uncertain of this. And I'm like, oh, is this, is this, is this really going to be worth it? Because, you, know, uh, you know, the sports channel or, or Netflix has really called my name, and I really want to do that. But I know that I ought to do this, too, and I know that's going to be good for me. But I kept on convincing myself that this, this was going to be worth it and I needed to do this and this was important because of my relationship with God. You know, a funny thing happens when you spend time in prayer. Like, I, I never came out of those times of prayer and was like, man, that was a waste of time. Never once <laughs> did I look back and say, man, I wish I would have watched Netflix. Every single time, I came out of those times of stillness and silence with the Lord, saying, man, I'm so glad I did that. <laughs> I, I, I really needed that, and that has helped me reset my life and my soul and centered me on my relationship with God. And so over time, I, I don't get this feeling in my stomach anymore because I've come to anticipate and enjoy those times so much that I, I want those times. I long for a time to just be still and to be with the Lord. And I know that it's going to be good, even if I have some of those thoughts in my mind sometimes of, oh, I'd rather, you know, watch the football or whatnot. So is it worth it for you, is the question. Not because of some blessing that God might give us or because we feel a duty to it. Is God himself worth it? The goodness of being in a relationship with the Lord of the universe. So this past spring, uh, half a year after I'd been to Mount Mitchell, I went on vacation with my family. So my mom, my sister, and my twin brother, Phil, was with me. And we spent most of our time in South Carolina in the spring. South Carolina in the spring is warm. It's like summer weather. Um, but I had said, because I, I had been to Mount Mitchell, and my family had not, I said, well, hey, can we stop at Mount Mitchell on the way back? Because I had experienced it. I had been there, and I wanted them to have the same experience that I had. I wanted to show them how cool Mount Mitchell was. And so we had been in South Carolina, so we were used to summer weather. And as we were driving back and getting into North Carolina, the, the temperature was dropping rapidly, and it became cold, not like freezing cold, but too cold to be on top of a mountain in summer clothes. As you'll see later in a picture, we, we only had summer clothes. We didn't really have the right clothes, the coats. 
and what not to wear to go up on top of a mountain when it's cold. And um, it, I remember it misting, although you can't really see that in the pictures this day. But, but, so uh, we decided, my, my brother walks with a walker, and so he has difficulty with walking. So we drove up the mountain, and we parked at that parking lot that I talked about. And, and then we had about 300 feet to go up. And, it, and this is the trail that goes up. So it, so it is uphill, so it's not like this easy path. It's, it's a hike for someone who has difficulty walking, but it's, it's 300 feet. And so I remember getting into that parking lot, and as we pulled up, just feeling the weather outside and, and knowing that we didn't have the right clothes, I remember my brother Phil saying to us, well, why don't you guys go on without me? Um, I'll just stay in the car until you guys come back. You, you guys go and, and whatnot, um, and I'll just wait here. And, and I was like, when I heard that, I was like, Phil... Like, you don't understand what you're saying. You don't know what you'd be missing if you just stayed in the car. It's, it's, it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hike, but it's just 300 feet that way. And it's just this most beautiful view in the world. There's no way I'm going to let you just sit in the car. And it's going to be cold, I know. Yeah, it'll be cold. But it'll totally be worth it. And so I, I somewhat kind of forced my brother to go up the mountain with us. And so we got him up the mountain, and you can see he's in his tank top, so it's, it's too cold for us up there. But we spent some time up there, and then we came back down. And I, I remember um, as we got him back into the car, I asked him, well, Phil, are, are you glad that you went up instead of just staying in the car? And he said, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that you, you told me that I needed to go. And that's the question for us today. Is it worth it? Maybe, maybe you don't consider yourself a disciple to Christ, or maybe you've just gotten to a point in your relationship with God where you've become stagnant today. And today I want to invite you. I want to say it is worth it. It's worth it to invest in these practices and these disciplines. Because God is just incredible. And being in relationship with God is worth it.